And welcome back to the Bama Beat Podcast. This is your host, Clint Lamb. Back finally. It's been several months, but guys, I've got a new co-host, Nick Kelly, the new beat writer for the Tuscaloosa News covering Alabama. Nick, how you doing today, brother? Clint, I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's I mean, it's great to have you, man. We've uh it's been a few months since I've been on the old podcast. A lot of people probably thought that it was going away. There has been a lot of changes, Brett of course, is, is chose to move on. But we got you in here finally to, to kind of you know act as a replacement, and I'm looking forward to talking to you. Now, on this particular podcast, this isn't, you know, we're not going to really talk a whole lot of you know, specifics. You, know, you got the Alabama softball stuff. You got the NFL draft with all these Alabama rookies. You got you know, spring training that just happened a couple of months ago. There's plenty of topics that we could talk about today, but there's also you know, an entire summer, an entire offseason to kind of cover some of that stuff. We'll be doing some position breakdowns, kind of like we did last year. Uh, really looking forward to getting your take on that, um, or at least on some of that. But uh, for today, it's all about getting to know Nick Kelly. So, Nick, how did you end up in uh, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama? Man, well, if there's one thing I I know pretty well, it's it's Nick Kelly. But I'll try my best. The uh, really just a, a few leaps, I think, is the the biggest way to sum it up. Uh, me being in Alabama, very far from where I grew up, where I went to school, from Minnesota, went to school at Missouri. Uh, but probably one of the more formative experiences I've had was when I, when I took a leap uh, down to Tampa, Florida. I was actually 20 years old at the time, and I was sitting in my History of American Journalism class, and I get a Twitter DM from the sports editor of the Tampa Bay Times who says, how would you like to drop out this semester and come cover the, the lightning of the NHL? And I thought he was kidding, thought he was crazy. But within a week, I had packed up my stuff, moved down to Tampa, Florida. I was covering the best team in the NHL. So that, that experience, uh, I was not ready for. And I think it's good I didn't have time to really think about it. But it's one of those things where I was on a pro beat as a 20-year-old. And it was really formative. It was funny because every time after games where guys would be like, hey, you know, I want to go get a drink. And I'd be like, well, I'd like to, but I'm only 20. So it's a little, little tricky. So, so and that, was a, that was a really fun, formative experience. and, and I've Worked in other places such as Boston. I've been to, uh, like I said, did a lot of work in Missouri. Did work in Minneapolis, and and that's brought me brought me to Alabama. I tell you what, um, I saw a tweet yesterday of somebody talking about how people today aren't willing to drop, you know, everything in, at their current spot and move somewhere for a job. Sounds like uh, you're the definition of that. You know, I think it's one of those things where. I appreciate you saying that first off, but I think it's one of those things where like, if you let logic be part of it, it's not going to go that well. <laughs> you can talk uh, yourself out of a lot of stuff. Yeah. Right. You really can. And I think that it's one of those things where if there's something you want, and for me, it's sports writing and sports reporting and you have an opportunity, you just got to jump in and figure out along the way. My dad and I, when I took that Tampa job, I did not have an apartment. I did not know where I was going to live. It's just one of those things where you just kind of go down by faith and just, Hey, it's going to work out and we're just taking the leap and we'll see where it goes. So that's very cool because I'm all about, and I've been all about it. I guess in our industry, you kind of have to, because so many people try to make it in this industry and they fail. And, you know, I can remember going through the process of trying to, to get myself in a position where I can make a living covering sports. And I mean, there were some rough times in there, you know, I was working for sec country when it shut down unexpectedly. I kind of thought that was Mm -hmm. my big break. Um, and then out of nowhere, a super successful company ends up come, you know, comes crashing down. And I had a pretty tough mm-hmm. conversation with, with the old pops 
Um, you know, he was coming from a place of fear and a place of wanting his kid to, you know, be successful and, and, and financially stable. You know, it's coming from a place of love, I guess you'd say. But mm-hmm. uh, I remember having that tough conversation. We was like, you know, there's just not many people that make it in that industry. You know, I would rather you go and do something else and, you know, not have to worry about money. And I can remember telling him, I- I'm going to figure out a way to not only make money, but make more money doing this than I would do make, you know, anything else that I could be doing. And that was a very tough sell, but there was this belief that, you know, the, the fear can't stop you. Right. So anytime I come across somebody that's just willing to kind of put aside their own fears and go for what they want, I have a huge, tremendous amount of respect for that. So that's very cool. So you did that for a year, you said? Uh, so I was there actually about, I think, seven months. So I, I had to go back to school and finish my degree. My, uh, right. my mom was very adamant about that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fair. Very yeah. fair. So then you went up. Right. She was right. She used- so once you were done with, uh, with, you know, school, you ended up, I think, was that when you went to the Boston Globe in, in Massachusetts? So actually, I went to the Boston Globe uh, for a summer internship. I was there. Uh, I think that was summer 2019. And I was there covering just everything from I did a NASCAR uh, NASCAR weekend. I to embed with a, a whole team and see that process, which was awesome. I, I was at Patriots camp. I was at a bunch of Red Sox games. That was a blast of a summer. And then uh, that was before my senior year. And then senior year, I covered Missouri football. And then after that, uh, graduated and then was at the Minneapolis Star Tribune covering everything under the sun for them from, from high school stuff to college stuff to just anything that had uh, a need just was kind of that jack of all trades. Well, covering Missouri, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, and I'm sure you knew this going in, and I'm sure you've come to realize it even more since, you know, even in, in your very limited time, but covering Alabama compared to covering Missouri are two very different things. And there's nothing against Missouri. It's just with Alabama, and this is what I've told people, you know, I also write for Roll Todd Wire. I'm the managing editor there, which is through USA Today, which is, of course, owned by Gannett. It, you know, that was part of that Gannett Gatehouse uh, merger. So, technically working under the same umbrella as far as the podcast and the website that I work for, but just, you know, covering or writing for that website, I've come to realize very quickly, there's never a shortage of topics, you know, whether you're talking about football, which is going to be, you know, the main driving force to, you know, a significant portion of the Alabama fan base, but it's, not just the current football team. It's, you know, you're talking about NFL players, guys who are in the NFL. There's always news because there's a ton of them. Some Alabama players always doing something. You got guys as far as, you know, the NFL draft when you're trying to cover it. You know, at Missouri, uh, no offense to them, but you got, you know, three, four guys that you're kind of talking about. Alabama, you're talking about 10, 11, 12. There's always a story out there about the, you know, somebody that's working out or doing something. And then, of course, you know, with the success that Alabama's had, whether it be basketball recently, whether it be the improvement with the baseball team, whether it be softball, which, of course, you were just in Oklahoma City uh, covering them, it just it, it's never a shortage of topics. You know, spring, ball, summer, um, the, the whole thing, you know, SEC Media Days is, of course, in the summer, so you really start gearing up for that, and then you really start putting your focus. When, when you hit the law covering sports live is when you actually – start looking forward to the football season and doing all the preseason stuff with that. So it's just never ending uh, coverage. So you're, you're definitely going to have an absolute blast getting to cover them for the Tuscaloosa news. Yeah. And I think that's exciting. And it's not something that I, I think is, is an indictment on Missouri as much because no, I, I don't pretend that even though they're both in the SEC, very different cultures, very different uh, levels of success. He and I started sports writing 
And my high school, I covered like probably 30, 40 games the first year I was was covering them. And they, I think I covered like four losses, five losses. And so it was, that's kind of what got me hooked on this whole thing was I'm covering some great teams. For, for example, being Minnesota hockey is a huge thing. My, my high school's boys hockey team went 31 and 0 and won a state championship. They had like 10 division one skaters come from that team. And so, so that these experiences are very formative and very fun to cover a lot of success and just greatness. I think it's one of those things where teams that win some, lose some, I would say they're the easiest to cover. I just think it's, it's a different challenge than when you're covering teams that constantly win, because when teams constantly win, you have to figure out creative ways to cover them. And, and I love that challenge too. That was one thing in Tampa that with the NHL team that I covered there, they, they won all the time and you can't just keep asking, why are you guys so good? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great point. Um, and <laughs> the good part about it is, um, you know, you're, you're constantly covering Alabama all the way through, you know, the, the college football playoff or the national championship, um, you know, in a lot of cases. And, and that, of course, makes it a lot easier and a lot more fun because you're always involved in the conversation. So, but you're right. It, it's always, you know, at this point, at some point during the offseason, what we're going to be doing is, is talking about what are the weaknesses. And, and none of them are true weaknesses, to be quite honest. It's a matter of compared to the other positions of strength, you know, where, how, what is Alabama weakest at um, and, and how can that be exploited by, you know, the best of the best teams? Because even against a lot of other teams that are really good, it just doesn't end up mattering in the end. And I'm this isn't like a, you know, huge, let's praise Alabama, let's all be, you know, super biased. It's true. Uh, and I think that anybody out there that covers any other team would tell you the same thing. And it's just, it's a very different coverage compared to a lot of other places. I'm sure, you know, Ohio State's very similar. I'm sure Clemson's very similar. Uh, with where they're at right now, but just for Alabama, um, you know, at least during the Nick Saban era, and there's been rough patches uh, prior to, of course, and any Alabama fan can tell you that that's been a fan for a while, but just in the past 15, you know, 14, 15 years, it's been, you know, a lot more good than it is bad, but uh, we'll have fun doing it. Um, You know, (laughs) there's always a big game, you know, regarding Alabama. Now, here's the interesting part, and this is what I wanted to kind of get your take on from an outsider's perspective right um you know alabama in most cases there's going to be maybe one two games during the regular season where you truly feel like alabama's threatened right um how is the alabama program perceived from a watching it on a weekend week out basis is it like must watch tv for you or is it you know in the past at least has it been you know, well, you know, Alabama is probably going to beat them by four or five touchdowns. I'm not, you know, too interested in checking out that game. Good question. I think that the national sense of where Alabama's at is just that they're so good that almost let us know when they're playing in a really competitive game and then we'll tune in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. I, th- I think it's what it is. And that wasn't necessarily what I follow all the time, but but I think that – with as good as Alabama has seen, just because relative to the competition, there, I mean, there really is not much. <laughs> I mean, you have those, those top flight programs like the Clemsons, the Ohio States, but yeah, there's just, there's not many who can relate to that. There's a lot more who can relate to the, the Missouri aspect of, Hey, you could be a team that wins eight games, or you might be a team that wins four games, you know, somewhere in between there. And there aren't many teams that can relate to the, Hey, we might lose one game. And so I think it's such a, 
it's an interesting thing because even in Minnesota, which is very, very far from here in Tuscaloosa, pe- people know the Crimson Tide, even who aren't sports fans. Like even telling people when I took this job, like, like my grandma is not a sports fan and telling her that I took this job, she knows that's a big deal. And she, and she knows that in terms of a big deal, meaning that program is a big deal. Right. And so I think that people just understand the gravity of Alabama football and that they just don't lose very often. And so when they do, that's a huge deal. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, kind of becomes the villain mentality to the rest of the, of the college football world. And, you know, I guess in a lot of ways, if you're a huge softball fan, Alabama has been pretty successful and, and now Alabama basketball yeah. at least is improving, but it, you can just tell the difference between Alabama basketball and Alabama football. Um, and I think a lot of Alabama fans could confirm this, even when you're watching those big Alabama games and you know that Nate Oates has them in the right spot, they've got the talent, they've got the ability to, to really play with anybody in those big moments, there was still this excitement factor because you didn't exactly trust the automatic, right? You know that when Alabama steps on the football field, unless you're Clemson in the national championship in what, 2018 um, or 20, yeah, I guess the 2018 national championship, Alabama is going to be competitive in every single game that they play in. And then it's a matter of, you know, can they get over the top and can they win with Alabama basketball? You know, even though it's emerging, there's that excitement factor where, you know, even against those good teams, there's still this, you know, we got to make sure we show up. It's not this automatic like it's been with the Alabama football program. And it, so in this, this has been this way for a decade plus. So a lot of Alabama fans have gotten to the point where, you know, I'll be very curious to see how things change you know, hopefully a decade from now, you know, when Nick Saban starts talking about retiring, but it's going to be uh, quite the, the the change as far as, you know, the expectations, as far as the reactions, you're, it's just, it's different. And, and bringing, you know, you on board, like the Tuscaloosa News has, you being from Minnesota, are you a Gophers fan, by the way? Are you in Missouri, I guess? I'm not. I mean, honestly, I don't have a college football team because I grew up in Minnesota where a Gopher football was not good. Right. And- and so I didn't really, really latch on to that. And Missouri, I covered the football team from the moment I got there. And so it really wasn't something where I became a fan. And frankly, it wasn't like an Alabama situation where they were winning a lot of big games. And so it wasn't, wasn't something I had to fight to not become a fan kind of thing. And, you know, it's, it's funny to talk about Saban, you know, talking retirement 10 years. I mean, man, 20, 30 years. I mean, let, <laughs> they're scheduling all these games in like – 10, 14 years, you know, the, the BC games that just came out yesterday. And it's just like, what, man, I, I can't even think about what I'm doing tomorrow, much less in 10 years, you know, 15 years from now, but Nick Saban's probably playing to still coach. So <laughs> what, you know, what's funny is a lot of Alabama fans, um, I'm sure there are some underground that are working on stem cell research and, and a bunch of other cutting edge technology to see if by the time, you know, 2028 rolls around when Nick Saban's contract is supposed to be coming to an end, they figured out how to prolong life by at least, you know, 30 or 40 years where they could continue to get that, (laughs) (laughs) continue the dynasty. Cause I mean, it's, it's, it's wild to think about. Uh, A lot of people didn't think that he would be in Tuscaloosa for that long. Here we are, you know, 15 years later and things are still going strong and and compared to a lot of other programs that have kind of come and gone as far as, you know, small dynasties or, you know, a small amount of success. 
just the fact that Nick Saban's been willing to adapt in the way that he approaches the game and the way that he recruits. And, and you know, the transfer portal is now a huge deal in college football and the way that's being utilized. And we're quickly learning that Alabama's going to figure out a way to turn that into an advantage, which, you know, that's, that's the thing. As much as Nick Saban complained about it and said, you know, really didn't want it, the fact that it became, you know, a, a thing – he said, how can we turn this situation into an advantage for us? And, and from the early signs, it certainly looks like that's going to be the case. So it's just wild how they are, they're able to constantly adjust and, and move forward. Yeah, and, and the thing that fascinates me, you talk about how Alabama really doesn't lose and surprise when they do. I think that in some ways, them having to be so perfect, because to, to be undefeated, obviously that is perfection, but even just in every single game, to have so little room for error. Because their, their goals aren't just to have a winning season. It's not just to maybe make a nice bowl game or maybe even just make the playoffs. It's to win the whole thing. And there's so little margin for error there that the fact that they have to be perfect is what fascinates me and what I'm excited about coverage-wise because they literally have to be at their best. They're, they're, not, they're not comparing themselves. I, I don't mean to keep bringing up Missouri, but they're not comparing themselves to the Missouris of the world. They're trying to be in their own class of perfection and, and – for me as a, as a reporter and a journalist, I'm really fascinated to chronicle that. Very much so. You know, you hear coaches and, you know, uh, players and stuff always talking about or comparing themselves to Alabama. You never hear that coming from Alabama's end to anybody else. Uh, the belief that Nick Saban has kind of implemented there in Tuscaloosa, that has completely changed the way that the program was not only perceived, but how the players and really everybody involved in the program kind of approach things is if we control what we need to control or what we can control, we can do anything we want to. It is all dependent on us. You know, if, if it doesn't matter how good these other teams are, we've got the talent, we've got the coaches, we've got the, um, the, the track record to be able to have success anytime that we do anything. Um, so, yeah, it is very different in the way that programs, other programs uh, approach, you know, day-to-day stuff. And, and it's, it's fa- and I guess you covering – I know it was for a short period, but you covering the Patriots with Bill Belichick. You know, it's a little bit different because the talent, you know, discrepancy between NFL teams, all of them are NFL players. So so you can't create just this this NFL team that every time they step on a field, they're beating teams by, you know, four or five touchdowns, regardless of how good the other team is. But with the Bill Belichick approach and the Patriot way and that kind of mentality, I guess you've kind of covered or at least seen that to some degree. When, when were you there at the Boston Globe? So that was right before Tom's last season. So oh, Tom wow. Brady was there. Tom Brady was there. And that was a point where actually one of the days I was there in, in Foxborough, he spoke to the media for the first time. And of course, people were asking, it's fascinating to look back on now because people were asking him like, hey, Tom, your, your, your mansion was just put on the market. You know, <laughs> what, where are you at? And, and of course, he played the – he, he's no stranger to how to word things correctly. He played the game of, you know, hey, love these guys, love playing for them, and we'll see where things – I mean, just looking back on it, it's very fascinating seeing how – what he said then and, and really how eventually we knew that he was going to leave. Right. So you were you there when he actually did end up leaving? No. No, because that would have been – that would have been March. Or, I mean, that would have been around the time the pandemic started. Right. And so, yeah, I was there. I was there that summer before. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that man, that is crazy to think about, and and it's something that you know, if, if you're, 
and I've heard this debate and I know that we're getting complete. I knew we were going to do this. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and let you know if you haven't figured it out already. I have plans for, for podcasts and sometimes we go rogue and, and conversations just lead <laughs> in different directions. So I hope you're cool with that. But it, it has kind of fascinated me a little bit because the, the, the coach on – which you can't really compare, you know, all-time greatest coaches when you're talking about different sports because they both tackle different things or have to to tackle different things. So it's very difficult. But one of the key points, you know, you can sit there and look at Bill Belichick and say he's one of the greatest of all time, and I don't think anybody would deny that. But all of his success came with Tom Brady, every bit of it. And, and a lot of people are hoping that Mac Jones kind of proves – different there um eventually it depends on how long bill belichick sticks around but a lot of people are expecting them to have a bounce back year but i mean based off the information that we have right now every bit of bill belichick's success has been connected to tom brady um i mean i guess he was in cleveland and actually took them to the playoffs and had some success there so it's not a matter of, of saying he's a bad coach but with nick saban just because of you know college football and the fact that you get guys for you know three or four years uh you know sometimes five max then you have to constantly be changing so there's been how many different Alabama quarterbacks have won a national championship under Nick Saban how you know how many different running backs and and so you know you start to figure out okay it's the system it's the program you know that that kind of is the driving force and, and a lot of people assume that it's Bill Belichick and I'm not saying that it's not I'm just saying that until you know and and it's unfair in some ways but you know, until he does it with somebody else or if he does it with somebody else or if he doesn't, then a lot of people are always going to wonder, you know, where would – I don't think anybody's going to sit here and say, okay, I think he has six Super Bowls if Tom Brady's not there. But I still personally believe he'd have a couple uh, regardless of who, you know, was at quarterback. It's just interesting how those two perceptions as far as the coaches or the different, uh, you know, ways that people are going to look at it just based off of NFL versus college. Two things can be true at once, I think. I think that Tom Brady was – is and was a great quarterback for New England. And I also think that Bill Belichick's a great coach. And last year in a pandemic crazy year, Tom Brady showed that, yeah, he was very much so part of that success. And Bill Belichick, we still have questions if, if he can succeed without Tom Brady. And, and I, I think that he probably can. And I think this year now that they reloaded with a lot of guys and they're not going to have a bunch of opt-outs this year because I think they had like I don't have the right number, but they probably had like six, seven guys opt out and oh, good yeah. players too. So I, I think that this year might be a better indication of, okay, what is Bill Belichick like by himself without Tom Brady? And, and I think that both contributed to that greatness. And, and I don't think it was just a Tom Brady or it was just a Bill Belichick or anything like that. It was, it was a, it was a partnership. It really was. Absolutely. Completely agree with you. And you know, that's, it's just, you know, when that marriage kind of goes its separate ways and the divorce finally happens, Tom Brady goes on and proves his legacy. Now, granted, he was, you know, went to a great situation. They did a great job of building around him. The fact that he was a big-name guy, they were able to attract a lot of free agents that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. But, uh, you know, he he's just been able to solidify his place in in history to say that he – you know, could do it somewhere else other than with Bill Belichick. And, and I, I'm hoping that Bill Belichick is able to do the same because I truly believe that that's the case. It's just, you know, there will always be questions regardless of what ends up happening. But this is not a Patriots podcast. This is a Bama podcast. Um, well, sure. speaking of that, though, if I can just quick jump in. Yeah. When Alabama heads to Boston College, it was a 2031. Right. Is Mac Jones still going to be the quarterback of the Patriots? That's a great question, actually. And, I mean, I think – I mean, obviously, if he's still there, he's doing some some really good things. Um, sure. I think that he could be, right? I, I just 
I, I think he landed in the perfect situation. I would have loved to have seen him with Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. I think that system, a lot of people questioned how he would fit in that system. I personally think he would have done well there. I think he would have done well, you know, at, at a lot of different places. I think he would have done a great job with Matt Rule and, and uh, Joe Brady there in Carolina. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, just having him there in New England with Bill Belichick, he understands the demands of the coach. He understands the approach because Nick Saban and Bill Belichick are very similar. They've surrounded him with talent. They've went out and, you know, they've built the offensive line. If you're going to have a, a stationary, non-mobile quarterback, you got to have an offensive line in front of him that can – allow him just to stand tall in the pocket and deliver throws. He's got weapons, whether it be a tight end, whether it be, you know, receiver, you know, his lack of tight ends that they got for him. They got Hunter Henry and Johnu Smith. I mean, that if I'm a quarterback, I'm liking that. Absolutely. And, and then, of course, you know, you also have a guy in Damian Harris who, you know, what played with Mac there at Alabama. He's very well respected in that locker room now because he's a veteran guy. He's going into his third year. Uh, he's probably going to be the team's leading back. James White and a lot of those other guys are going to be involved because it's the Patriots and they use a multi-back system. But if I had to bank on somebody leading that team in rushing guards, it's going to be Damian Harris. And so having that presence, they're kind of advocating for Mac Jones and, and you, know, um, you know, having his back and allowing him to acclimate a little bit. I mean, being in the same exact backfield, that's, you know, that's definitely something that I think is going to help him. And just the entire system and the way that things are set up, the defense should continue to be good, especially with a lot of these free, uh, free agent signings that they added. You're getting Dante Hightower back. So I think he's in a great position. Um, and now that you mentioned that, that, that actually is Boston College. When Alabama goes to play Boston College in 2031, is Mac Jones still going to be the quarterback? Because that's a, it's a decade from now. So um, if that ends up being the case, just, you know, and you know what, what we'll do is in about a decade when this happens, uh, Alabama's getting ready to go play Boston College. I'll go back to this particular podcast and I'll hold you to whatever it is that you predict right here. This is going to be locked in, no changes. But right now, 2031, how many Super Bowls does Matt Jones have, if any? Wow. Well, you're putting me on the spot. This It's a a super easy question. There's, There's not like it's, you know, so many factors that could change between now and then. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me um, hold on. I think I packed my crystal ball somewhere when I moved here. <laughs> let me see if I can find it. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll bite. I'll say, I'll say he has won Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, by 2031, which is <laughs> like the sixth, the sixth Super Bowl part is, is just crazy. And, and even Alabama winning as many national championships as it has under Saban is also crazy. So I feel like, like one Super Bowl is still a big deal, even though relative to Tom Brady, that's not a lot. But still, we'll give Mac Jones one Super Bowl. I'll, I'll tell you right now, um, I, I like where this is going because a lot – if I would ask that question to 90% of the people that I would have been around to have asked this question to, just because of what Tom Brady did and because of you know them thinking that Mac Jones is supposed to be the second coming of Tom Brady, at the very least, a, a lot of people would have went two or three. But uh, the fact that you kept it to one, that's a way more realistic. I completely agree. Him being a Super Bowl winning quarterback would be a huge feat for him, and it would be huge for the Patriots. So it's not just him. It's you got to have the team. You exactly. Have the team around you. Yeah, and I mean, is Bill Belichick going to be around in twenty thirty one? You know, when he <laughs> leaves, how is you know? I guess Josh McDaniels is going to end up sliding into that role. I guess that's the plan. Um, I, I think I don't know, but. You know, how is he going to do as far as, you know, his second run as a head coach? How, you know, what, what's the, the team around him look like? It, absolutely. And, and, of course, you got other teams who are starting to make up a lot of ground and, and kind of assert themselves as the, 
the top teams in the NFL. So the, the Patriots could end up being a perennial, you know, uh, contender in the AFC, but they always end up coming sh- up short, you know, because you've got Patrick Mahomes in the prime of his career. He's going to be around for the next decade for sure, as long as, you know, barring injury. So mm-hmm. as long as he's there in Kansas City with the Chiefs, I mean, are they – It's you've got to overcome that if you're Mac Jones and the Patriots each and every year, and it's not just them. It's, it's a lot of these other teams as well. So, um, yeah, I think one Super Bowl, I, I really thought that I was going to get you to bite on multiple and the fact that you were able to pull it in and, and, and keep it realistic enough where – you, you give him one, uh, but <laughs> anything above that, it's like, man, that's that's pretty bold. But a lot of people would have, so I give you respect for that. Well, the NFL, the parody really is there. I mean, right. it, and maybe it isn't. I say that, and maybe it isn't at times because you have the Patriots and what they did in the 2000s. But for the most part, that is rare, and it is really hard to win multiple Super Bowls. And it very well could happen. I mean, who knows? Uh, but until I see a little bit more Mac Jones, I'm maybe going to keep it on the, the lower end. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, and, and go high on that. Everybody thought that Russell Wilson was going to win, you know, two, three, four Super Bowls before the end of his career when he won one as, as quickly as he did. And the Patriots, the Legion of Boom, you know, you just thought they were locked in with Pete Carroll as the head coach as being a, a contender each and every year. And they have been, but it's yet again, they've gotten back to a Super Bowl and they lost that Super Bowl. And, since then, they haven't been back. It's been extremely difficult. Now, Russell Wilson's getting towards the back half of his career. I think he's still got ball left, um, several years of it. But, you know, you, you quickly realize it, it's it's a lot more difficult to get back uh, than people think. And the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs have done it twice, everybody just assumes that Patrick Mahomes is going to be that guy. I think he's going to as well. But, you know, it, it, or he could be another Russell Wilson where he's always involved. He's always one of the best quarterbacks in the league. The Kansas City Chiefs are always one of the better teams. But, just can't seem to get back uh, and actually win one. So one was 100% the, the correct answer there. But we've kind of run this podcast long. Uh, I, I'm super excited to have you on board. I'm super excited to be back. Um, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun with this. Eventually, you know, when, when, when uh, there are going to be at least times where I come into the studio and we'll get it going. Uh, I know that those that computer probably hadn't been booted up and man, it's been well over a year. I don't even know if it's going to fire up, but getting all that equipment going and getting some face to face stuff and getting Cecil involved, we're going to have some fun with it. But man, I really appreciate you hopping on. I can't wait to uh, continue to talk uh, more Alabama football with you. Oh man. I mean, this is gonna be awesome. Thanks a million for having me. No problem, brother. I'm looking forward to it. All right. This has been another episode of the Bama Beat Podcast. We're officially back. Going to get back to uh, doing the whole two to three episodes a week. So looking forward to uh, continuing things with Nick, and we'll talk to you guys soon.